Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Coffee with Mirko. Starting today on the brew bar in the comfort of my home while we're waiting for Samlo to join us. So I thought we should make lovely AeroPress so that we can actually drink coffee with Sam. Hi Bianca. Oh, Sam is already here, amazing. So we'll, we'll brew this and then I'll bring you on uh, Sam just to make things easier. And uh, yeah. Really need this coffee. Usually I do my interviews at 5 p.m., but 9 a.m. is good too. So I get to see other type of people across the across the world of the gram. Anyway, we'll give it a little stir. And are you drinking coffee, Sam? I want to drink coffee with you. Soon I'll come to Coplek too, so we'll actually have a brew together. So for people who are just you know, tuning in. Uh, today we're going to be having the luck of talking to Sam Lowe, the 2016 New Zealand Barista Champion. Uh, he's also the head trainer of Co Black and he's just a, a hell of a guy and a, a gun in the coffee industry. Uh, Bianca, this is going to be a good episode for you. You can ask all the questions in the world. And uh, and yes, Barista Riyadh, I'm not using a professional kettle because uh, I don't care. <laughs> Uh, it's because I never, I never used to brew at home actually, um, up until COVID-19. I used to have a type of job where I would drink 10 to 12 cups of coffee outside my home. So that would be enough, made by professionals too. So yeah, now I'm using just my home kettle, but eventually one day I'll get a professional one. Anyway, I don't want to brew too long because I'm really keen to talk to Sam, meet him and, uh, have a good chat about what we're gonna talk about. Um, today, just for you who wanna know, I'm drinking BW A Coffee, Jabanto Ethiopia, Girgajev. So that's what I'm drinking today. There you go. And uh, we are nearly ready to bring Sam on. Always pressure making coffee in front of a professional like Sam. <laughs> but it's just an error press, I suppose. But it's just the easy one. Easy. Uh, before we get started, hey John, Napoli Coffee Cosmo, Mamma Mia, Mess Hack Barista, Di Padula, Harawati, and then we go. Hopefully, Bianca's still here. Bianca, are you still here? Clean this later. So, without further ado, we'll, we'll bring on. Self. Hello, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> I'm eating. You're eating and drinking coffee. <laughs> yes, I'm drinking coffee. What are you drinking? I am drinking. A natural Colombian from La Esperanza. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> that <Yeah>. sounds amazing. <laughs> very, very good coffee. Um, yeah, one of our favorites, actually. And this is actually the last of um, the latest harvest that we've got as well. So that's all we have. 
of this coffee. It's very, very nice. And then you're enjoying the last drops. That's fantastic. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, Sam, uh, thank you. Uh, it's lovely to see you, mm. meet you. And yes. thank you for coming on board. I know you're a busy guy and <laughs> you could only do Saturday. Sorry, but look, um, first and foremost, Sam, how, how are you doing and how's your family with COVID-19? Just to get that out. Yeah, um, I think in the beginning, it was like a bit of a shock for everyone. Um, all my family's in New Zealand, so uh, they've, you know, handled the situation pretty well. So I think um, the results have been really good in New Zealand and they're all safe and well. Um, yeah, I'm well working still, so that's good. Still have a job, which is great. Um, but it's kind of just waiting for the aftermath and what that means for work and how we handle that and recover from it, essentially. 100%. Um, mm. Look, a lot of people know who you are, but for the ones who are going to rewatch this on YouTube, the podcast and IGTV, mm. um, how did you start your amazing uh, coffee journey, Sam? Um, I've been in coffee for about 10 years now. And um, it was one of those things where I knew I wanted to be in hospitality, but I didn't know what directional path I wanted to be in. So I did a uh, two and a half year food and beverage apprenticeship straight after high school. And basically it allowed me to dabble in every single field in a very successful casino slash restaurant group. So I spent two to three months in every restaurant in, um, in this casino group. And uh, I had access to all these amazing uh, sommeliers and bartenders and wait staff and chefs. But this was 10 years ago. So no one really knew anything about coffee. And there was like very little traceability. It was not cool. Um, but that was what I was most intrigued by. And um, so after my apprenticeship, I got a junior barista role at a roastery in New Zealand called Atomic Coffee Roasters. Um, still really good friends with them and um, kind of just grew from there. And uh, junior barista moved into head barista and then doing some trainings on the side um, and just kind of, I was naturally quite an introverted person. So, um, by my bosses kind of forcing me to do uh, competitions. Well, they would, they would just say, we've paid for your entry ticket, so you just kind of have to do it now. Um, <laughs> forced me to just kind of be out of my comfort zone and then like just grew this like bug for competitions. And yeah, I mean, do you want me to keep going about my journey or? Of course, <laughs> I mean, okay. the next question was, uh, you know, a summary of your competitions and the ones that you won. Uh, but, yeah. you know, we're going there. And uh, on, a, on, a, on a side note, it's, like, it's incredible that you were introverted and yet you went competing. That's like super, super out of comfort zone. Oh, it was hard. <laughs> it was hard. And um, <laughs> yeah, so kind of grew in that company. Um, then I competed in Latte Art and dabbled in barista championships. So my first ever proper national coffee competition, I came third in the Latte Art Championships. And this was like, I think the second or third one that they held in New Zealand. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. 
And then um, the year after, they were like, well, you have to do it again. So I did it again. And somehow I won the New Zealand Latte Art Championships. But I also did um, the Barista Championships. Um, and this would have been my second time doing the Barista Champs. So the first time I did Barista Champs, um, I placed 10th. And then the year that I won the first New Zealand Latte Art Championships for me, um, I placed second in the Barista Champs. So I was first in Latte Art, second in the Barista Champs. Um, and then I got the opportunity to like go to my first ever Worlds Latte Art Championship in, uh, in Nice, France in 2013. Um, again, like I was 20. Um, I had no idea what I was doing. I was lost. <laughs> and um, even just like Nice and France in general, I was just like, I have like my first European country that I've been to. I got lost. I took the wrong bus. I was on my own. It was just like a whole mess. And, um, and I ended up placing sixth in the world that year. And, <laughs> and um, came back to New Zealand. And I was a little bit like, I was 21. I think by now. And then, um, then I was like, I think I want to open up a little espresso bar. Um, so then I did. So I did my first business and I opened up an espresso bar 21. It was called bump coffee brewers because it was like a little tiny hole in the wall space that I bumped into walking around in the middle of the night with a friend. Um, it was, I think it was seven meters squared. Yeah, so it was tiny. So wow. Yeah. Um, and then after eight months I of being in one place, or being in a seven meters squared space, I was like, well, I want to travel. I want to do more. So I sold the space and it turned, I sold it to a, a fellow coffee friend and he just turned it into an amazing business. And um, now it's grown into a very successful um, cafe brand or coffee brand in New Zealand. Um, I'm super proud of it. Everyone should go there if you're in New Zealand. Um, it's called <laughs> Camper Coffee. And um, so then I moved to Melbourne and um, worked with Code Black. There was a lot of stuff in between that, um, which we can probably dabble on later on. Because I don't can. want the story to be too long. And then um, uh, in Melbourne, that's where I really, like, really had to educate myself on coffee. Um, I thought I was, like, pretty decent by then. You know, like, oh, I did well in competitions and I've worked for some of the best coffee roasters in New Zealand. And then coming to Melbourne, I knew nothing. Um, and that's when I had to, like, put my head down and really just study and look at every single resource out there, write my own training manuals. And just doing that made me learn so much about coffee. Um, uh, like lots of things that I never thought about. And um, what else did I do? Then I competed again. Um, yeah. So 2016. I, 2016. So I still competed for New Zealand because I spent majority of my industry time there. Um, so I flew back, had an amazing coffee. I had 
learned so much more. Uh, I went back and yeah, I won. And that's great. Uh, <laughs> and the world's was a funny situation. I did a whole nother thing. Um, I was, I, I believe I was the first barista competitor to compete twice in one day um, because of some technical issues. And then, um, yeah, it, that was like an incredible experience for me. Um, I ranked 20, <clears throat> I think 23rd that year um, with my cappuccino drinks all scoring zero. So not bad. Not, not bad. bad. Not, not bad. bad. <laughs> um, and then what happened? And then I came back to Melbourne and then I was like, okay, what's my next thing? And um, I have this giant passion for food. Um, so then I kind of then started a little, not a pop-up restaurant concept yet. It was more just like, like a little food gathering, almost like a secret supper club for my friends. That's what I wanted it to be. And then a, a couple of coffee publications was just like, what are you doing? That sounds interesting. We want to publicize it and make it public. Um, I was like, oh, oh, in my head, I was like, no, this is for my friends. But then they were going to arrange a Skype call and all these things and write it in um, Sprudge and, and stuff like that. So then I was like, oh, sh crap. I guess so. I guess be so a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, oh, this needs to be a thing now. Um, so then I, I kind of started this little food journey um, of creating, um, I guess, food experiences with a majority kind of fo a focus on contemporary modern Chinese. Um, so I did one pop-up in Melbourne and then I was like, man, this is actually really fun and really cool. However, I wanted to go back to New Zealand. So after spending a year and a half in Melbourne, I went back to New Zealand. Then I worked for a um, very good, very successful coffee company called Mojo Coffee. Um, that's where I got to understand uh, a larger scale of business success and understand um, that side of specialty coffee that I never really had the opportunity to. Um, it also allowed me to have a lot of freedom to then pursue all my other passions. So, uh, which is the food projects. I was also a milk brand ambassador for a year. So doing commercials and stuff for them as well. Um, and yeah, so taking over kind of restaurants and bars that didn't use their space at night to run uh, contemporary Chinese restaurant concepts. And I did that for just over a year. Um, in New Zealand, and that was really fun. And then I got a working holiday for Canada. <laughs> so then wow. I moved to Canada. <laughs> yeah. So I moved to so I moved to Vancouver for a, a year. Um, and I wanted to understand a lot of stuff and a lot of personal growth as well. Um, but with Vancouver, it was interesting because I am obviously an a Chinese born in a, or raised in a Western environment. Um, however, Vancouver or Canada, they've had, they've had ethnic migration basically from the beginning of Canada being known as the country Canada. So um, Chinatowns have been there since day one, essentially. And 
Um, I wanted to see how that would affect, uh, I guess, people like me and, um, and people who grew up in Canada and Canadian Chinese and how it affected the food and consumer behavior. Um, so I worked for a really cool coffee company called Nemesis Coffee in Vancouver. Go check it out. Really good, delicious coffees and food. Um, and after a year, I was like, cool. But the pay is really bad. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> so I moved back to Melbourne um, and got my job back as the head uh, trainer. And yeah, and that's, this is where we are. That's where we are. That's a fantastic yeah. journey. And I think, yeah. I think um, in terms of the cappuccino score in zero, actually was talking about you on uh, what day was it? Um, the day on the 11th when Honor Melbourne launched and I was talking to uh, Ross Quayle and, oh. you know, I was like, <laughs> oh, you know, I was like, yeah, you know, I mean, being Sam on, on, on Saturday and he's like, man, you should, you should ask him about the world. I'm like, oh, uh, you know, I was like, if he mentions it, but that's funny. He mentioned it and that, uh, yeah. yeah. I think it's still incredible, your journey. Now, uh, during your routine on that year, <clears throat> I think your key message was <clears throat> your, your concept of simplifying uh, and using an easier language to bridge the gap between specialty coffee uh, and your everyday consumer. Uh, how important is this? Oh, so important. Um, I would say that even me as a trained coffee professional, I, um, I generally don't ever use coffee language, even with coffee professionals. I would, like, if I was amongst coworkers or if I was amongst, like, even just coffee connoisseurs, I would say, this coffee's yum. You know, I would never say, do you taste the peach notes in here? Um, and I think, like, that, it stemmed a lot, and I think I learned a lot of that from the restaurant and the wine and bar and coffee. I mean, sorry, and like basically every other artisan industry. And the language that I use is so easy for everyone to understand. Um, it makes you want to be a part of this industry. And I think that was like the main and key concept of everything that I stand for and it's just making things approachable because I think ultimately at the end of the day if we don't make the better pro products or artisan the majority then this industry generally will then deplete um, mm -hmm. and um, it will just mean that you know the poor will get poorer and um, lots of things will not be great. So, you know, so like, obviously there's a chain effect and, um, and I think a lot of the times baristas who do start out, they feel like they have no impact in the industry unless they are roasters or green buyers or, um, own a company that have power to do mass volume. I think that's wrong. Like just being that barista that converts say five customers, right? that five customers can potentially influence another five people each who then go on this path of first off getting a better product and like just improving like just quality of life in general. Um, and then you're going to help the entire chain of process through that 
movement, that passive movement. You don't need to say, I've spent $3 billion on rescuing farms. You know, like you don't need that. Um, yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I think a, a concept that keeps coming back during this podcast, and I was talking about it with Hugh uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, even in terms of tasting notes, I think there should be also almost a system where you go like a beginner level where it's say chocolate. Then you go your, you know, second stage, which is like, you know, cocoa and orange, hint of orange. And then you got your Jaffa cake with sprinkle of brown sugar. Like, you know, to, ease, to be easier understood. And I think what I like about you is that you and I really uh, align in terms of the experience, right? So on a fine dining experience, right? So many years in the coffee industry, we focus so much in the cup, never on the people, never on the experience, never on the connection. Well, we did, but we kind of drifted away, right? And a fine dining situation is how they put a napkin on your lap, the cutlery, the service, how they pour wine. They even talk about the tap water that they use. Uh, like, like the overall experience makes elevate the price, therefore justification of the price, right? And yesterday I went out with a good friend of mine and uh, I was like, you know what? I don't necessarily, I rarely drink. And I was like, let's treat ourselves. We had a couple of frozen coffee from my friend at uh, Six Points. And look, we spent about $25, the two of us. But then at nighttime, just last night, they made me think, I was like, well, it's not that bad. Like, if you and I went out for a beer, that's what we would spend for a couple of beers. You know, $7 a pot or eight, that's, you know, 14 each, you would have spent $28 because that's what we had. We had four coffees because we split two pour overs. So it's, it's interesting. So what, what, how do you think that experience could impact and save the industry? I feel like experience is so important, but I think there's a lot more driving that. And I think the biggest problem, and we as an industry kind of shot ourselves in the foot, is we just kept calling coffee, coffee. And um, there was so much negative kind of um, connotations towards that. And everyone already had a routine or a ritual with this product called coffee. And then you start to introduce another product and start to charge, say, maybe 10 times more than what their original ritual was. But you're still calling it coffee. So then they, then they go, well, that's, why would I want to do that? Right? So I think we kind of didn't segregate specialty coffee well. Um, whereas fine dining and regular dining like literally walking into a space, you know that there's a difference, right? So, but walking into a, a beautiful cafe that serves specialty and then work, walking into most regular cafes nowadays, it's hard for you to segregate or know the difference. Even as a consumer, how do you know that they're serving specialty? Because they're all using the same equipment. They all have probably the same interior designer. And um, there's almost no qualification or certification that makes that standardized and i think we've been talking about this for so long towards people you know and like um with the likes of you know certain people and influencers or uh very you know high up coffee people they're starting to implement these types of like certifies uh, certifications or 
um, stickers or whatever. But again, it's not standardized or uniform. So it's really, really hard. And there's no like Michelin guide and there's no top 50 restaurants. Do you know what I mean? And it's hard for then consumers to understand what is quality and what isn't unless you spend two years or three years in the industry. It's so true. I, I, the minute you said, and this is the first time I hear in 40 episodes, the fact that we didn't change the word coffee, you hit home run. I, I, I never thought about it. That's, mm -hmm. that, yeah, that's beautifully said. I think that just, yeah, that just clicked straight away because I've been in coffee nine years and it's been coffee from day one. Whether I was working on a Wega or a Slayer, or whether it was a 90 plus coffee or whether it was more towards, you know, the regular, the regular stuff, it's always been called coffee. Therefore, there's no, just, yeah, I'm going to let that digest. Um, <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll, have to, I'll have to let that sink in and yeah, digest yeah. it later. Well, I, I, I read a comment before. Um, someone said, unless I know the brand, I won't go into that space. There, is, there are problems with that as well. Um, you're almost going, I know this, this restaurant will serve this particular brand of truffles, right? And then you'd be like, cool, that's a good product. I'm going to go in and eat here. But that doesn't define the skill of the barista, the quality and education that they have or qualification to serve that product. Um, we need to understand that brands are only suppliers. Uh, it's up to then the, the establishment to bring the best out of that product. So um, even with brand, yeah, it's a good indication of the potential qualities that they can bring out of their product, but it doesn't always resemble that truth. Um, 100%. And again, it's like, if it was that easy of a fix, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. So um, that's why we just need to educate consumers. And it goes back to how we talk to them from the beginning and um, open that curiosity. And I think that in terms of educating the consumer, we also need the floor staff, the person behind the cashier, to also be aware of it. It's not just the barista, because the person who runs the coffee at the table is not necessarily a barista, might be a wait staff. So I think the overall hospitality industry from you know, the first step that you step into a cafe, everyone should be on board on the same page in terms of educating people. And you're right. I mean, I've had a brand of coffee in certain coffee shops that was tasting terrible, but that had nothing to do with that brand. <laughs> and you look, I think we, this is flowing very natural without even following my question. I mean, you're a head trainer. I used to work for a coffee roaster for two years on the road. Um, and, uh, the importance of training is crucial because, you know, the you know the farmer does such a hard work to harvest, uh, process this coffee, green bean buyer to find the coffee, get it, secure it, the roaster to cook it because it's cooking process. I know you like your culinary aspects of it. In fact, you had dry ice in your competition <laughs> and a lot of other different things. I'm waiting for you to sous-vide and saute coffee next. Um, and then... Finally, the box literally lands in your hands and then the barista can still stuff it up. 100%. 
So a, for you, a, is this why training is one of your passions? I've, I've always been about um, people and making, like I, my best days at work are when I train someone who came in not knowing anything or probably not that into something or not into coffee. And then you just have that conversation with them. And then they, they spark this then almost this passion journey. And that reminds me of when I first kind of, you know, tasted my first like yoga chef Ethiopian, you know, and I was just like, whoa, there's like so much more to this. Um, and like, if I could do that, you know, with like, one person every week that honestly just makes me feel like um, I've made an impact in terms of not even them bettering their journey and making a clear path of what they want to do. Um, but it's just improving the quality of the, the chain and like, and hopefully that this person then like talks with three other people, you know, and influence them. And, um, at the end of the day, it just benefits the entire industry. And it doesn't have to be coffee. It literally just can be anything that is better. 100%. And uh, it's, it's consistency, speed, quality, quality assurance, control. There are so many variables compared to the one industry where I don't want to make it sound easier. But, you know, once it's in the bottle, all you got to do is open it, really. Versus coffee, you got all these variables, the water, the equipment, how clean is that equipment, how well trained is your baristas, and if you've got three or four people behind the machines, are all at the same levels. Like, there's so much going on. I think that technology during COVID-19 has shown maybe trainers like yourself and roosters that perhaps there is room for, I suppose, doing fortnightly Zoom recorded videos where those are accessible to cafe owners to show also the wait staff, the waitresses, the waiters, the people behind the till, even the chefs, so that everyone is on the same page about that particular coffee. So I think there's room for leverage of that technology a little bit. I think that we kind of shifted away from technology. We demonized it. I was like, oh, no, you know. I think we could look at that also. Now, I think we touched base on different things. Uh, and thank you for what you share. It's fantastic. I love when it flows naturally uh, even more. Uh, we hit the halfway mark and usually ask a out-of-the-box question. Uh, Sam, if you could, who would you like to have dinner with? Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> just one person? Sorry. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm going to say Anthony Bourdain. Of course, and he hopefully is resting in peace for sure. Yeah. Um, I think he's seen so much and he's seen all the highs and all the lows in hospitality, in people, in different cultures. He's traveled the world. He knows so much and he feels so much. And it'll be interesting to pick his brains on um, what he's learned. Um, and I guess the way he will think about one thing will be very different to anyone else just because, yeah, he's just, he's just seen most of it. And like, like obviously that's like an inspiration for everyone. So yeah, I would yeah. say him. Yeah. That's fantastic. What I love about you, Sam, and we just met really, and I can't wait to meet you in person. Uh, you, you know, you're only a few kilometers away uh, is that I think 
you're very true to your own values, and I really appreciate that. Um, in terms of, you're not scared to say, "Hey, food is one of my biggest passions," rather than coffee, 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 coffee. And I think that's fantastic because there is such a, a linking element between coffee and food. Because I think we forget it's hospitality. It's about people. It's about sharing a table. You know, uh, yesterday I was having dinner with someone and uh, with my friend. And I was like, how nice is sharing a table with someone? It's not about what we eat. It's also how much nicer it is. The overall perception of that sensor, sensorial experience. If I had the same meal by myself in a dark room, cold, it would be very different with 10 of my closest friends, right? And coffee is the same, same as food. It's hospitality. Um, it's delicious, but it wouldn't be possible without people. Um, would you say that perhaps people plus the experience in a cafe, education, could be elements to save the industry after COVID-19? because people are lacking of this connection right now because they're stuck at home for months. Ooh, I feel like post-COVID, this is like, honestly talking, um, I feel like the hospitality industry needs a good shaking. Um, people need to wake up and understand why so many businesses can't continue after closing for literally six weeks. Um, what industry do you know that if stopped for six weeks has to completely deplete? Um, you know, obviously I'm not an expert in any other industry, <laughs> but the fact that so many successful businesses had to close in, within six weeks of no, no immediate income makes you question everything else around hospitality and, um, and the cost it takes to run a business and, um, and how much the people depend on immediate income and how many lives are affected by it. So I think that will get people to start questioning it. However, there's a lot of problems with this as well. Um, a lot of people who uh, will come out of this maybe will get educated um, who are not in hospo, who will then feel remorse and uh, will want to spend more money going out to nicer restaurants. However, there will be bigger corporations that will then capitalize on this. And then that's when it will be a battle between small businesses and large businesses. Um, and unfortunately, that is the way it is for most industries. Um, but the more we talk about this to consumers and it's using not just facts, but humanizing these experiences and chats with them. And it honestly goes back to that simple language and like just showcasing passion through like the words that you say. And um, hopefully that comes across. I know that I've influenced you know, people around me who weren't from hospital and like didn't know anything about hospital. And then now, like they always choose the better because they think about the aftermath of everything. And um, I think that's all we can do as hospitality professionals if you don't have that, you know, the money to do that. So um, a lot of it is conversations. 
talk to people and not just agreeing, you know, like just have discussions. Um, that's all I can say about that. No, no, it, it, it's beautiful. I think that uh, even going back on simple, it's not just about coffee. I think that you can make a larger impact if you remember someone's coffee order and name. We forgot about that. I think you can make someone's, you can make a person's day by saying, hey, John, skinny latte with two extra hot. John will be having an amazing day. And all it took, it was remembering a four-letter name and a coffee order. Rather than, hey, John, this is, and a whole bunch of complicated words that John will be like, man, I got no time. Like, like some, there are times where we need those words. I get it, but I think also connecting and simplifying also comes down to very basics. You know, like a good, warm, good morning, hello, how are you, a big smile. I yeah. think that's going to go a long way in such a dark era, a dark period of time. And you're right. Some, some businesses are going to get hurt. It's going to be a shake. And hopefully people will start innovating because for many years, a lot of hospital businesses were doing just fine, but they were like narrow. Now we need to start opening up to, oh, what about e-commerce? What about making my own peanut butter? What about putting a sticker on that jar and sell it online? What about retail coffee? You know, as a, as a former worker for a roaster, the bottles that I had to convince cafes to sell more retail, let's go. Retail is, you don't have to pay your GST. It's labor free. It's money in your pocket. Let's go. You know, and I call black, you guys kill it. Like, I love it. Like, you got a wall. Like, you got a wall. It's like such a huge statement. It's like, damn, like, you can't escape it. It's fantastic. So, to that point, to add to that. Now, uh, we got a super young uh, viewer uh, in the audience, and it's Bianca from Indonesia. Well, um, and her goal is to win uh, Barista Comp by 2023. She already started roasting. She already started brewing. She already started latte art. Crazy. And Amazing. she sent me coffee and unbelievably good. Um, what words of advice would you have for young people out there looking to get into coffee despite what their parents are telling them to and, you know, it can, it can be quite daunting, I suppose. And you started super young. You were just 20. Super young. Yeah. And again, I, you know, like coming from a Chinese domestic, um, like, you know, like doctor and lawyer is kind of like the path that they wanted me to go. And until I started showing success in my field, then they straight away didn't question my decisions anymore. However... You know, you don't need those results to prove that, right? So, um, ooh, for Bianca, lots of things you can do. And I think, um, oh, so she's done, has she done any competitions? Not yet. I think she's okay. only 16. I don't think you're going to be up to you in Okay, cool. Um, I would say don't rush it. Don't expect placings. Um, don't expect to do well because you doing it is doing well. Um, when I competed, I never expected to win or place third in my first Latte Art Champs. That year that I was 20 and won the New Zealand Latte Art Champs and came sixth in the world, honestly, I didn't even realize I was still in France. Like, I was so lost, <laughs> but I was just doing what I was 
doing because I was passionate about it. And if you show true passion and dedication to something, results will show. Don't do it for the wrong reasons. Don't do it for lifestyle and the fact that it's cool right now. Um, there's so many things. The best thing to do as well is to attend as many things as possible. Attend as many coffee um, forums or I don't know what's the situation with COVID um, in Indonesia is, but when there's cuppings, hopefully when it's fine to do cuppings, go to them, go to coffee discussions, uh, go to champion chats. There's so many amazing Indonesian barista champions and they're my good friends um, and I've met them and I've competed with them. Um, and Indonesia is a great industry because first off, they produce their own coffee and they produce amazing coffees. Um, yes. Like you've got, you've got origin literally right there. You know, uh, we don't have that luxury. And I think just going to origins, you have already so much resource. Um, there's, there's, a there's this booming specialty coffee scene in Indonesia as well. So just going to coffee shops, tasting a whole bunch of different coffees. It doesn't need to all be extremely high end or the popular ones. You want to understand the industry in its entirety, right? Yes. So um, all the highs, all the lows. So then you get a better scope of your own judgment. Um, yeah, that's all I can say. Basically, taste that's everything. I think that's fantastic. I think that sure. I mean, this was also it's relevant for anyone starting out there. I think what you said is is fantastically said. It's just uh, I think that more and more people uh, need to step out of the comfort zone, like you did, and bless to Atomic. Uh, I know Ray Callan. Ray Callan. I, I worked with him at Toby's, and uh, he's a he's a Kiwi guy, and uh, he worked at Atomic. And you know, I think them buying that ticket was. You know, you had to compete. And I think you were like, you know what? Effort. Uh, I don't care what people are going to think about me. I'm just going to do it. Um, and that, you know, your your story by itself actually is already inspiring. So your words attached to it, it's just incredible. And thank you for that. Um, now, um, you kind of touched already base, touch base already on a few memorable moments of yours. Um Will you go back on stage and compete, perhaps in another category? Is that in a planning? So, I was actually planning on competing in New Zealand again this year. Um, however, depending on the situation, I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, and this year, I was going to showcase something that I've been very passionate about for the last two to three years and I've always wanted to showcase this on the world stage, hopefully. Um, but if it doesn't happen, I will showcase it in another platform because I've done all this research and I feel like it's really informative and I feel like people want, need to hear about this. Um, and hopefully I'll create a platform or something where I can share this. Fantastic. That's beautiful. And I'm not going to ask you what it is. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm dying inside secretly, yeah. but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's Kill me softly. It's a lot of collaboration and it's a lot of people involved and it's, um, it's very exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. No, that's aside from all the jokes. Yeah. That's fantastic. And uh, I think, I think that a lot of people confuse competitions for what it's not. I think competition is exactly 
the right tool, the right stage for doing what you're trying to achieve, which is like, I want to send out a message, you know? Uh, aga, aga routine, right? Uh, like if it was a cafe. Like, like, <laughs> like, like this, you know, you bring in fine dining and culinary elements to it, right? Sharing ideas, Matt Perga, like we can keep going all day on people who change that. And I think that's what really people should look at competition as rather than a landing point. Competition is your starting point. Competing is your starting point to explain, explore, share, showcase, right? Instead of putting competition on a pedestal, yeah, I think we should look at it more as a platform, like you just said. Um, so without going into details, what is your coffee mission, uh, Sam? Oh, this actually is it's linked to my concept, but... Um, okay, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> no, so my coffee mission is to get it on the same level as every other respected culinary field. Beautiful. That's it. We'll leave it there. I get it. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. Now, something that's really important for me and other people, um, I think that it's safe to say that coffee's underpriced. Um, in comparison to the other hospitality fields, you know, we're looking at food, we're looking at beer, we're looking at wine. Um, what do you think we should do as an industry to start tackling seriously this issue? Because there's been a lot of talk, and we are talking only right now, but what's your take on coffee pricing? The price per cup? Everything, yes, but starting from cup, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's always been the biggest problem. And it goes back to that discussion where giant corporations will start a company saying, we're serving specialty, but it's only $2.50. As a consumer who knows nothing about specialty coffee, I see the word specialty coffee and I say, why wouldn't I go with two fifty rather than $5? Right? So that's the first issue. Um, yep. The second issue is every other culinary product is based on profits per margin, costs to run your business. Working in a larger coffee chain company in New Zealand, you get to see a lot of stats and you get to see profit margins and how pricing is done. Why is coffee not done the same? Avocado on toast is $18 on average. Yep. Why is that? Well, it's because your avocado is probably $2. Your two slices of bread, it might be 65 cents. Um, all the condiments and sauce will probably add up to another dollar. So you've got a 4 to $5 cost, right? Yep. And you add... 30% on top of that for your staff and the cost to run the business. So you've got like a 30 to 40% profit margin on that product. A double shot of espresso on its own will roughly cost you from 70 cents to $1.20. That's already exceeding your limit for your cost production. And on top of that, you already got your cup, your lid, 
your service, your coffee tray, um, all that is not taken into consideration. And the only way most places survive off that low profit margin is volume. And COVID-19 reduces the amount of volume possibility for any establishment. And that's why these businesses can't survive. Yeah. So it goes back to discussions. It goes back to letting consumers understand the truth and the ugly truth about it. Unfortunately, it's battling the big guys. Yeah. And, yeah, and if think, there was, yeah. No, it's true. And I think that probably for many years, we kind of fought against each other in specialty, between roasters, between coffee shops, rather than understanding that the real battle is against the big guys. It's about uniting rather than dividing between us. It's about uniting um, and going up against the big guys. You're absolutely right. Uh, something that I find quite crazy is that, for instance, in certain countries, without naming them, they have a sort of regulation per industry, right? So that would say, for this product, the minimum that you can charge is X, the maximum is Z, right? We don't have this. So I've seen in years in OSPO, uh, in the wholesale coffee, I've seen specialty grade coffee, good coffee, promise you, going from $16 a kilo, legit, all the way to 40 and I'm talking just wholesale dynamic. The gap is too big. See, if the gap was, well, everyone is going to be a kilo, a coffee is going to be between let's call it 28 to 34, right, or 36. That's where the quality would rise because it's no longer about the price, the deal, how much machine you're going to give me, how much free coffee you're going to give me. It's always going to be about the quality because the same coffee at the same price, blindfolded tasting, people would go for the one that they like the most. And I think that we kind of shifted away from there. So a little regulation maybe through association, because government is going to do nothing about it, um, that could help, as well as decrease the oversaturation on the market because we got too many coffee shops. In my country, in Italy, uh, they pull cap, and they say, in this square, in this street, there's not going to be allowed only five pizza shops. If you have pizza shop number six, it's out of your weight until one of them sells or go out of business, or you move to another area. Here, I can open a cafe virtually anywhere. <laughs> you know it. So I think there's a lot on regulation, and that's where, you know, unfortunately, we got caught up in, into the dream, the romantic side. Because when you were doing your calculation of cabin toast, my usual example is you got a couple on a Sunday morning. She's an accountant. He's a banker. They go to Coblack. They see how pump and busy it is. And they're like, geez, avocado toast 1850. I can do this. But I would put alfalfa sprouts on top. And I would use balsamic reduction. All of a sudden, they count the heads on the tables. And they're like, wow, they're making money. But they're, they're not there Monday to Sunday. But also, they don't, they don't know, right? The steps, the margins, the costs. But guess what? We're the only, one of the few professions that we don't need qualification to open a shop. A lawyer, a dentist, a doctor needs a piece of paper to say, I can practice. Coffee 
you don't need that, which is quite absurd in a way. So I'm not saying that we should have a university for coffee. I'm not saying that we should regulate every single step of it, but I think there is room for improvement in these areas. Yeah, I'm not going to go into that just because uh, I know too many people and I know too many uh, situations where that's the case, where people just basically, I was literally talking about this last night with a friend, um, just people who've worked in another industry and they're like, cool, I've made a bunch of money from this. I'm like 45. Um, I'm just going to open up a cafe because it's easy and I want to make money with all the money that I've saved from my other corporate job. It's not only offensive to us in the industry, um, I think it's almost just like when you go through it yourself, you almost have what's coming. Um, and saturation is just, yeah, is too much. It's too much, and you're absolutely right. There's many of these examples. And uh, look, I don't mind if someone, if you do the ropes, even if you do 12 months at McDonald's and you get some learning. Like, right? Colin Armin, Colin Armin is a great example, right? For the people who read the book and people who know him. I met him luckily a few times in my life. That's a good example. He was in the financial ex corporate world. I was like, no, I need to learn. Then, you can give it a shot. But with zero experience, that's tough. Sam, um, it's, it's already been almost an hour. Um, Instagram is brutal with live streams I've learned in the past eight weeks where they give you a 30-second timer and then it's like, oh, shit. Um, before I let you uh, go with the last question, uh, thank you for the chat. It was lovely. It was really natural, organic. Uh, feeling very humbled and and grateful to have met you and heard your stories and what you shared. We're going to do another one maybe in a few months, maybe at Coblack. And I look forward to actually stepping and we'll, I'll DM you to see when you're in next. So I'll meet you in person now that we can uh, walk into jobs. Uh, so thank you, uh, really. You really added value to a lot of people going to rewatch this. It's not my usual time. People are going to rewatch it, IGTV, YouTube, podcast, and people are going to love what you had to say. So thank you. Uh, on the last question before Instagram, cuts it off. Uh, what's next on Sam's planet? Um, again, it's watch out for this space because hopefully I have a platform where I can show and showcase everything that I've worked really hard on and kind of learned with my almost decade in this industry um, with collaborations with a lot of people and I've made a lot of friends and it's important that we listen to all these people regardless of stature, um, stay humble, it's an amazing, amazing industry to be a part of. Um, it's fully transferable. And yeah, have fun, drink good coffee. <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> um, uh, yes, I think um, what, I like, what I like about you is that people are going to take the message that, you know, you can defeat all the odds, you know, coming from whatever background, whatever your parents envision you to be growing up in a situation where you had to become that dentist, doctor, lawyer, um, from introverted to be in Dublin, uh, talking to hundreds of people on a microphone, hearing your voice back and achieving the amazing things that you have achieved. Uh, it's quite a progression, but also an evidence that 
it's possible. And it is a beautiful community. It is a beautiful world. And it's the keys are in our hands, especially you guys. I'm nowhere like you guys. The keys are in our hands to, uh, you know, be custodians of this community industry and uh, hopefully just keep it stronger, grow it, and make it better. Exactly. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Sam. Thank you for giving us your time. And uh, I'll, I'll DM you. Yes, it was. We should do it. We should do another <laughs> one soon. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs> um, all right. Thank you. Thank you again. Your Thanks. legend, Sam. Thank you. Bye. Uh, there you have it, guys. Uh, it's been a very humbling uh, hour. I wish we could have gone longer, but I don't want to hold uh, guests for longer than an hour just because I know they got stuff to do. Sam could only meet us on Saturday, so that tells you how busy it is for him. So, for yeah, it's been really good. Um, if people just tuned in, feel free to screenshot reshare it this is going to be available on IGTV real soon then upload it as YouTube and a podcast in the next week or so uh, but thank you all for coming in uh, it's unusual time for us but it's still good we're still growing this podcast these live streams if you enjoy them tell people about it uh, we'd like this to grow and keep going and the, the more we are the more we can spread the message that we talk about so thank you for all the people who are st stuck until the very end uh, a big shout out to uh, Cole, Daniel, Azimut Cafe, Peter. Peter, you've been a legend, and thanks for reaching out uh, on DMs. Lilo, uh, Coffee Bar, Double M, Vag, you good guy, man. Good to see you here. Thanks for being on live. I know it's late in the UK, and of course Bianca, uh, your your support, guys, is always uh, priceless. So. Yes, that's that's sort of a wrap for today. Uh, later today, I'm going to post about the next week guests. It's going to be, I believe, three. So we're going to try to keep it three to four, three ideal per week. And we'll just try to build more of a schedule, more like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, so that's a bit easier as things go back to normal for me as well for my business. So I'm sure this added value to some of you. And uh, yes, there is plenty more. Uh, if you just learned about our live streams, go and check out the previous 39 episodes. Uh, there's some good stuff in there. YouTube channels, podcasts, whatever suits you. You can just plug it into your earphones whilst uh, you're going for a walk around and listen to the amazing people that we were lucky and grateful to have on the show. Bianca, you have a great day. It's 10 a.m. in Australia, Melbourne. And uh, yeah, you guys out there, stay safe, keep drinking coffee, keep pushing the boundaries, keep doing what Sam just told you to do. Uh, be humble, simplify the conversation, have the conversation with more people. And all it takes is just breach that gap with one person at a time. Uh, we can all literally change the coffee world one cup at a time, one conversation at a time. And I think it's just, uh, Incredible, valuable, incredibly valuable what uh, Sam shared with us today. Um, and he said that we failed because we didn't change the word coffee. Um, I will sit on that. I will sit on that because it was first time I heard it and it really resonated well with me. So that was a very key part of this interview for myself. So he had a value to me. It's um, 15 seconds left. Again, 
Thank you for being here, Mamma Mia, and everyone else. I will wish you an awesome day. And if you liked it, feel free to take a screenshot and post it as a story and tell more people. I'll see you next week.